Welcome to the weekly High with LSD podcast, the Leslie and Subu dialogue covering the most happening technology news that affect India. And now, please welcome your host, Leslie and Subu. So, hello, friends. Uh, welcome once again to the weekly High with LSD show. Along with my co-host El Subramaniam, we have with us uh, this week Ajit Kurana, a Bitcoin and blockchain expert. Uh, he's currently a partner and global expert uh, with uh, uh, the Blockchain Founders Fund and a mentor at MOX, which is a mobile-only accelerator, a global accelerator for cross-border mobile internet, uh, which is operated by the VC firm SOSV. Among his many earlier uh, roles, he was also a CEO of Bitcoin Exchange Zepay in Singapore and head uh, of the Blockchain and Cryptocurrency Committee of the IAMAI. Uh, so before he pick his brains on the subject, uh, we should keep in with this uh, format of the show. Uh, first, discuss mm. some major tech developments uh, of the week. Uh, let's uh, just look at some slides first. Uh, if you look at what's hot this week, we have the data breach that would cost uh, top global brands uh, $223 billion. This is a report by Infosys and Interbrand uh, uh, and uh, when we're talking about uh, data breaches, basically the report has gone in a bit of a detail and it is, it is saying basically that uh, industries such as technology, BFSI, automotive will suffer higher overall brand value at risk from uh, data breaches, whereas uh, luxury brands and consumer goods will face greater value at risk as a percentage of their net income. So they have put out some numbers. Uh, they're saying the technology sector shows up to dollars twenty nine uh, billion in brand value risk, which is up to fifty three percent of their twenty twenty net income. Uh, this is followed by financial services, which is up to fifty percent, fifty two percent of uh, their twenty twenty net income, and the automotive sector shows up to seventy seven percent of their twenty twenty net income. This uh, works out to about dollars. 4.2 uh, billion dollars uh, in brand value risk. Uh, of course, all have uh, covered uh, this particular uh, topic in detail, so I'm not getting much into this. But a related topic is, of course, the solar winds hacking fallout. Now, here basically we are talking about on-premise this uh, solar uh, winds uh, hacking uh, issue. We have already discussed it because this is more about uh, cyber crime that we have discussed. But it has sort of escalated more into uh, a kind of a debate, uh, not only about cybercrime, but more into the whether we should be using on-premise or hybrid cloud or a public cloud. Uh, let's first uh, talk about this uh, because uh, uh, this is the way I understand uh, the industry is moving more towards the hybrid cloud uh, kind of stuff. And uh, Brad Smith has made the statement that saying that most of the breaches that have taken place have taken place on premise. So perhaps cloud is far more secure. Uh, what are your thoughts, Ajit, uh, Subhu, anybody? Yeah, uh, I'll just tell you a very interesting historical perspective that as we move from client server architecture in the early 90s, which was, you know, that's when I was a student of engineering uh, to the late 90s where cloud became the new buzzword. Uh, everybody knew that cloud was great. And these architectures such as public, private and hybrid, these words hadn't yet come about. But when an infrastructure provider would talk to, let's say, a financial institution and try to sell them cloud, they would say, great, we love it. Set up a cloud in my office. And then they would say, no, no, that's not how a cloud works, uh, which was the first version probably of on-prem. So this, this 
this fear that if i let my data reside on physical hard- hardware which is not in my control uh, i have basically lost control of that uh, data has been there since day one and this is what i think eventually led to the concept of hybrid uh, cloud i i just wanted to throw in that entire historical perspective uh, leave alone the fact that in several jurisdictions there is a need for data to be located in a particular place usually yeah. that is within the country as opposed to within the organization but i think that this story is not getting over anytime soon uh, whenever a data breach occurs uh, instead of looking at how the data breach occurred which means was it on prem versus on the remotely located cloud people automatically assumed it's on the remotely located cloud right so so that is pretty crazy and uh, i i don't have an opinion i think that if the data is honey potted namely centralized there is a greater opportunity to actually control it and protect it right while if it is on prem it is just at so many locations that it is more difficult to control it but uh, you know i don't know where this whole thing is going i think it's just getting started not necessarily the most uh, uh, you know optimal solution but neither is on prem you are looking at some kind of a hybrid at some stage human beings enterprises need to have that visible control you know that that what we call apparent control but it, it is it is a moot point whether you have the uh, server in your lap on your lap you're going to still going to have control because the hacker out there is not going to come and hack your lap he's going to hack the computer yeah i found that strange because that became a kind of an either or situation which i don't think it should be an either or no, it cannot be it can never be yeah i think it's a very clear thing because it should not be a microsoft uh, or a uh, microsoft and amazon web services versus a dell or an ibm it it just should not be that way i mean it has to be clearly as even ajit also pointed out that security is important uh, uh, but i think uh, yeah please let me for for you, for your viewers uh, who you know may want to enjoy an analogy let us say there are 1000 uh, people each of who are carrying around 1 lakh rupees on their on their self maybe in their pocket wallet purse etc and saying you know i'm going to control my 1 lakh rupees because i'm going to physically hold on to it i'm going to put it behind lock and key i'm going to hold a gun in my hand and pro- pro- protect my 1 lakh rupees or all thousand of these put it in a bank vault which would be a 10 crore rupee bank vault and they say let us protect that vault now i want people to use their own judgment and find out that on the whole which is likely to yield a superior outcome right in terms of security all things being equal yes all other things being equal which is never the case but at least at an architecture and construct yeah. level you can decide that while you're not holding those 1 lakh rupees in your hand you put it in a bank vault which you don't control anymore which is a more superior architecture and of course today i think when we're talking about cyber security they also talking about security in the device itself at the root itself i mean of course there are so many approaches and i think there are quite a few experts and we have also debated the subject on earlier episodes but having said that uh, we could probably uh, segue into something that is closer to your heart and uh, which of course is very related to uh, cyber security also before we get into the nft part of it uh, yes a lot of talk is happening on blockchain Uh, from a cyber security point of view uh, from a so so can you just explain the whole uh, relationship to, to your viewers make it as simple as possible correct correct so when it comes to security there are fundamentally two dimensions to it one is people accessing information that they should not 
this is not necessarily what blockchain solves and the second is people altering data or creating wrong data uh, by corrupting the database or accessing it uh, this is the problem that blockchain solves uh, very loosely suppose a bank has one computer which has all of the data and somebody accesses this computer and changes it you know you have corrupted the data so a bank would typically make many copies of this data which is constantly being synced with each other this becomes a little more difficult to break into because you would have to break into more than one computer now just imagine this is happening over a very large number of computers who don't even know about the existence of each other which means you can't switch on something and say okay i have 17 nodes or mirror copies or what have you this is fundamentally the architecture of a public blockchain you know whenever we say blockchain i must tell your viewers that we are automatically referring to a public blockchain but there are like in the case of cloud there are other models around blockchain also yeah the so closed blockchain ones fundamentally is a, that's correct so a blockchain is a database structure as in in a very simplistic form i'll tell you but one second i efficient uh, i would like to interject uh, over here so if if you are talking about a public uh, blockchain versus a closed loop kind of stuff uh, something akin to an inter uh, internet and an intranet kind of stuff if i were to do an analogy uh, is it really a blockchain in the real sense of the word a closed kind of so, uh, so yeah so the thing is that all the joys and uh, you know that we talk about a blockchain are largely missing in a private blockchain except that if let us say uh, all banks of india get together and clear create a close user group of a blockchain which they already if have these participants are adequate in number like not 5 but 500 and second they operate independent of each other i think that some simulation of a blockchain is arrived at and even in this architecture more than 50% of them would have to act in a malefied fashion to be able to corrupt the blockchain so if 50% is a large enough number as opposed to let's say all the police stations in the country get onto a blockchain despite the fact that there might be like tens of thousands of block, uh, nodes but they might all be controlled by one person so it is also that these nodes need to act independent of each other and without a central control so i think that yes to some extent it starts looking like a blockchain but nothing like the a million node blockchain that a bitcoin probably is but in in india you already have banks that already have that i mean the bank chain if i'm not mistaken and then plus another uh, i mean prime chain has come out with another uh, blockchain stuff so you already have banks in india that are already using the closed loop blockchains how effective are these at this point in time so in terms of efficiency we all know that blockchain is a very in inferior form when it comes to efficiency because it completely sacrifices speed and efficiency in the favor of creating duplicate entries in a very large number uh, <clears throat> so to that extent i think it is security wise uh, security of the original data which is referred to as immutability immutability wise it is better than the centralized database structure where you know one super user can go and change whatever they want to change uh, but i fear that we have uh, instead of gaining the best of both worlds we may have inherited the worst of both worlds by giving up a lot of inefficiency but only doing marginally better when it comes to security so uh, question here ajit uh, is that you just said that you know worst of both the worlds so have we given up too much autonomy or have we kind of said that uh, you know each of these nodes you know is independent by and of itself and therefore control is also distributed to that extent 
So let us just say we have one centralized database. The good thing about it is we can totally control it. Bad thing is one bad actor can come and uh, corrupt this data. As we go from one to two to three to four, as in small numbers, actually you might be reducing the quality of your security by giving up autonomy. Because now you may have been a good actor, but the second or third person may not be. But as you increase this number by a very large number, let's say running into hundreds, thousands, and tens of thousands, the fact that 50% of them would actually be bad and bad in the same way becomes low again. So this is my problem with the worst of both worlds that while we are headed towards autonomy, the number of players are not large enough when they are acting independently for us to feel secure that they could not collude to corrupt the data. Uh, I must tell you that when you look at a client server or otherwise uh, computer network architecture, you have that many points of vulnerability as the number of nodes. Blockchain is the opposite. As the number of nodes increase, actually it becomes more secure because no individual node has enough power to do anything about it. So it really, so to the exact answer to your question, Subhu, would be that it really depends upon the intent of the participants. If the intent of most participants is genuine, then this serves the same purpose as a public blockchain. But the, you know, if you could assume that, then this discussion around cybersecurity would not have existed. Would not be there. Exactly the point. I mean, so you are trading off, you are trading off, uh, you know, speed and efficiency, and gaining security. Is that it? That is it. But it is not like you are trading. You are giving up. 50% efficiency and, uh, you know, you're going half the efficiency and double of this, the relationship is non-linear. So I think we may have found ourselves uh, that we have given up a lot of the efficiency and not really compensated by adequate security. But Ajit, there are, there are companies that are already working on the speed aspect, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I mean, the speed today is pretty comparable to any other chain. I mean, of course, it may not be commercial operations, but uh, I, I remember that a lot of pilots were being done on the speed part of it. So you should know that fundamentally, if you're looking at changing the speed of blockchain by many orders of magnitude, not a little bit, but very much more, this uh, regrettably can only be achieved by the sidechain architecture. So what happens is that there is a main blockchain and then there are participants who are talking to each other off-chain which periodically come and access the main okay. chain. While this does achieve that objective, it is very similar to if you go to a restaurant, you eat food before paying the money. So the restaurant runs the risk that you may never pay the money. But since that amount at risk is very small, we are all comfortable taking that risk. Right. So this is the concept of a side chain that there could be corruption in that side chain because it does not have the protection of a blockchain. But before it becomes too large, you come into the blockchain either by, you know, leaving a thumbprint, which is also called a hash key or by writing all the entries. But this kind of, again, removes some of the joy of the blockchain. So it's like you're going on a highway and then you take a smaller route and you come back onto the highway. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Okay, interesting. Um, I remember this having this conversation with you on a couple of occasions earlier. I mean, this was almost like three, four years back. And we were talking about Bitcoin and blockchain. And you said, no, the, both are inseparable. I mean, because... So I, I, I very distinctly remember that because even now I find that the media will still harp on, you know, blockchain as a separate entity and you know, Bitcoin as a separate entity. So can you just clarify this? I mean, for once and for all, I mean, I, let, let people understand that, you know, why these two are inseparable, right? Why that token is. Yeah. So let us say banks of India 
have to run their technical architecture so that they can allow net banking login and those kind of things they have to set up very large number of computers and spend a lot of money on the hardware software and electricity in a public blockchain architecture since there is no central authority who is running all these computers software hardware and electricity and who is bearing the cost individual participants are who don't own the network so then in that case what is their incentive to spend that money which otherwise the central authority would have spent and that's question number 1 and question number 2 how do you incentivize them not just economically but also to behave well which would otherwise be called governance so incentive and governance how is it maintained it is maintained by periodically rewarding participants with a token now what the value of this token is we could call this token bitcoin or another blockchain we could call it some other name what this value is is actually determined by the market so we will not get into that for at this point because i'm sure we will be coming to the 60000 dollar bitcoin in a moment oh, yes, but yes. to, to yeah, <laughs> but to reward the participants to contribute physically contribute their hardware and money and electricity you have to give them a token as a reward and in so this token one of the names of this token is bitcoin on the bitcoin public blockchain and then there could be others because people believe that by participating in it they have a probability of getting such token which might be worth something if you remove such token then the only way you can incentivize or govern this blockchain is if there is somebody who is bearing the cost this is called a private blockchain so for example if reserve bank of india were to run a blockchain for all the banks well the banks or the reserve bank or some central authority would pay for it in this case you don't need the bitcoin or the token but then you have removed the joy of a distributed a ledger which is truly immutable so this would be applicable whatever you have been arguing so far uh, the point of view that you have presented at this point in time uh, would make sense in the context of what india is trying Or, or even the world, the CBDCs, uh, basically the whole uh, digital currencies that we're trying to create. Uh, and uh, and when I look at the Bitcoin scenario in India, I see it always like it's kabi ha, kabi na. So you do not know whether it is being banned, whether it is not being banned, whether it is here to stay. <laughs> Subu is throwing up his hands in despair. I mean, this has been a fun. This has been a primordial question. Which I have that is Bitcoin banned or not? I mean, I am some somebody. Sometimes the government says it is not banned, but or it, the then the uh, Honorable Supreme Court turns around and says you should do something about it. Now the problem with Bitcoin is that everybody seems to believe that it is required. It's the elephant in the room, okay? But nobody wants to really call it out. So, and that has been a, a a reality that has been staring at us, and I don't know whether we are any way closer to a solution there than we were five months ago. The same rhetoric repeating again and again. Yeah, I think the latest is that Nirmala uh, Sitaraman. Uh, she is uh, saying basically that we may not ban it, but we may have some kind of curbs. Uh, Ajit, uh, your thoughts? So I would say. you know it's important to look at the asset in one uh, on one side and the market mechanisms and players on the other side so if you know just to draw an analogy for those who may not understand bitcoin very well let's think of diamond as an asset so by itself there is nothing wrong with a diamond that you would object to it 
but maybe the participants might sell fake diamonds they might create uh, some sort of a ponzi scheme around a diamond so this market mechanisms definitely have to be regulated grading has to be brought in etc so i think that same is probably true about bitcoin the asset by itself we discussed a second back about it's a token created to incentivize and govern a public blockchain so it is pretty innocent an asset let's let, let's put it that way but because there is a market price which is going as an unbelievably high uh, this is leading a lot of market participants to behave very strangely which would obviously cause worry amongst the regulator and the government who on the one hand may believe that bitcoin might undermine the indian rupee or the sovereign currency itself that could be a problem on one hand on the other hand it could be that you know we will never be able to track it because it is not leaving a trail into the banking system or the monetary system in general and as a result we won't know who is making profit who is so, you know not paying taxes you made a very so interesting point you made a very interesting point here that it cannot be tracked so the point is like if somebody like i uh, i i know people who have actually sold bitcoin because of all the impasse in india they do are not sure whether they should they should be keeping bitcoin or not so they have sold it for real huge amount and transferred it to exchanges in the us now if i recollect rightly and correct me over here i think that uh, uh, bitcoin is treated as income in india so it's taxable as of now so how how do they actually if they can't trace it from how how will the banks if there's no trace in the bank as such how are you going to even uh, uh, treat it as income or how would you know that the person has sold it in the first place so there are two ways to do it and uh, you should know that other countries who have probably been more positive have reached a point to understand this basically because it is because the identity association is not with a person but with a public key so let's usually call it a login id if i may just use it in a rudimentary fashion every regulator should uh, unless they believe they can actually truly ban it which means they can wish it away but short of that what they should do is they should encourage the lit pools and discourage the dark pools so dark pools are you know away from the view of anybody because they are happening between two parties who know each other and nobody else knows them lit pools would be exchanges where there is kyc and the like so for example indian exchanges will take your aadhar card and pan card and everything you know to open an account so if a large proportion of people operate in lit pools because the government says this is okay this is not okay and there is a fear of law which would cause people to agree with this then you can test these people because you can get the data from the exchanges here is a second and more interesting part which probably has no analogy in any other asset class that suppose i have uh, undisclosed bitcoin i give it to you leslie leslie you give it to subhu and subo gives it to somebody else who goes and sells it on an exchange so the fourth jump was in a lit pool was the first three were not even then because subo went and sold it on an exchange we can reach subo because of his kyc with the exchange then we can ask and then we'll get it wrong yeah so because this is a immutable ledger where every transaction is recorded forever even if within a few jumps there is a lit pool you can actually retrace the steps and uh, when you look at aml activity being done on the blockchain assets uh, all of them are using this and usually they go back five hops to see whether this is clean bitcoin or not so i think that as long as you keep encouraging lit pools you will be able to keep track so viewers uh, just uh, i mean i did just use the word aml uh, the term aml uh, 
for those who are in machine learning it's not machine learning it's anti money laundering <laughs> anti money laundering <laughs> so i mean just just to be clear and of course i mean from the token point of view it's already reached 60000 uh, we just i think some a couple of weeks back we were talking about 40000 so this is like a we were talking if you remember lastly the first time we started this show it was 20 it reached $20000 and we said that it's going to breach $100,000 by end of the year now i don't know i mean <laughs> i don't know what see i think i think uh, ajit one of the issues that you raised was that you know uh, the government being unsure and you know as to they can't wish it away and you know my sense is that government world over are trying to figure out their action their piece of action in this entire uh, game and that they are not able to figure out because they are not able to figure out how you know to make money out of that and somebody else is making money according to them there is an enormous amount of disquiet and like you said if and and the other other issue and which is again repeated itself all over again is that it is a sheer inability of you know the legal law enforcement framework to come to terms with technology it's happening all over whether it's a facebook issue whether it's you know crypto it is just that technology is going so fast that our social societal frameworks are not able to keep pace with it and that is what is creating an enormous amount of you know consternation among the lawmakers oh absolutely so first there is technological innovation then there is financial innovation and then this brings about fintech so for instance when there is financial innovation the first people to adopt it will typically be the island nations you know which are regarded as either banking havens or tax havens or financial service havens because frankly that is their only export you know because right. they really have they just a dot on the map and when these people adopt financial innovation the rest of the world starts thinking there's something wrong with it which is why i'm i'm desisting from naming any nation because they are good nations i have interacted with them but so that is you are you are absolutely right that okay the first thing that happens is that you assume it doesn't exist like bitcoin has been there now for 12 years 11 12 years right so for the first 4 5 years nobody talked about it you didn't hear that oh it consumes so much energy and it was just something somebody was doing for 4 5 years and that and is nobody, the crazy part like and, in, and nobody still knows who satoshi is <laughs> yeah <laughs> i must i i must publicly declare to your viewers that i am not satoshi nakamoto that that so until bitcoin reached the price of about $1000 in the late 2016 frankly nobody talked about it but there there was probably once one rbi warning that you know stay away from uh, you know they yeah, treated assets. with caution treated with caution but it was only so first you don't exist for me then i look at you and deride you then i get scared of you and fight you and then i accept you so we are now at that third phase and hopefully soon reaching the fourth phase it has happened right now currently netflix and ott platforms are encountering that that the fight part has started social media has gone through that digital wallets uh, have gone through that in india Uh, you know insurance companies mutual funds have gone through that in the early to mid 90s etc yeah, yeah i mean what you what what you said is very dangerously similar to an indian saas bahu serial there you know <laughs> you, you wish it away <laughs> and finally accept 
Yeah, I mean, what we don't understand, we always are scared of what we don't understand. So that that's fine. But, you uh, know, Leslie, interestingly, one thing I must say that, you know, I just got a call from somebody yesterday. Uh, he's an Indian who has been trading in crypto. And he is now emigrating out of India because he doesn't know whether crypto is banned or not. So he's, he's going out of India and going to live, settle somewhere in a country that shall not be named. Okay. Because he's saying that, look, I don't know. Tomorrow the cops come and say that, you know, it's banned. I lose all, all the money that I've invested in. So this is, a, this is another trend that is happening. I mean, I wish somebody could clarify it. Yeah, you Either say idea. yes or say no. no not from the government point of view, but from an understanding point of view. No, so I must tell you, Subhu, that it is not that one friend of yours who said this. The entire cryptosphere, which does not include just people who have invested in Bitcoin, but they might be token issuer, infrastructure provider, etc. Everybody is talking to immigration consultants, second passport <laughs> consultants, uh, you know, and all of those that, you know, what if we need to run suddenly? And it has gone so far that several people are saying, you know, if we run in the face of adverse regulation, we look like a Vijay Malaya. So maybe yeah. we should go sooner than that. Exactly. Right. So we could be encountering a huge brain terrain in the next few weeks and months. Wow. Well, I just simply hope that it doesn't happen. But in the meanwhile, let's go to a related topic, which are the NFTs or the non-fungible tokens. Now, before uh, I ask Ajit to explain it to our viewers, I'm just sharing a, a slide uh, for the benefit of our viewers so that they actually understand uh, uh, what this uh, means. Uh, because uh, it is uh, essentially... a uh, a kind of a, uh, a topic that is a little uh, dense. So, one second. Yeah. So, so why NFTs are making headlines? Um, basically, because uh, uh, this uh, digital artist people recently sold an artwork for nearly seventy. Uh, I mean, it was sixty-nine uh, million dollars. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, Jack Dorsey uh, is auctioning his first ever tweet as an uh, NFT with the top bidder willing to pay $2.5 million for it. So that's why NFTs are making news. And what are NFTs? So basically, they are cryptographically generated tokens similar to uh, what we are talking about. Uh, they use a blockchain uh, technology, but they are not cryptocurrencies, uh, uh, either like Bitcoin, Ether, Monero, or whatever. Uh, you cannot exchange uh, them on NFT. Uh, you cannot exchange NFTs, only buy and sell it on special marketplaces, something that Ajit will clarify now. Uh, and a creator can use platforms like Rarible or OpenSea to upload the file that will become the NFT. Uh, you'll have to pay a fee of less than $1.30 per file in cryptocurrencies. Uh, once the NFT is on the platform, then you can sell it. You also have an option of setting a percentage uh, and you can receive uh, from all the future sales of the file. Uh, of course, the question that here, uh, which I would uh, like to ask Ajit also, uh, the sense that I get is that the metadata is not shared on the blockchain. Some of the exchanges are not uh, sort of, uh, the blockchain is not capturing the metadata. So that could be a problem. But uh, before we come to that final point of it, uh, why are, uh, are you excited about NFTs? What would you like to tell uh, the viewers out here? I think that NFTs as a concept are today at the same stage as Bitcoin was in 2014, which means there was some understanding of it, a very highly oversimplified understanding and a general sense of disbelief 
that you know oh here comes another piece of nonsense right so that is gen- that is roughly the stage that nfts are at but they other than the crypto asset uh, component frankly nfts are a very different breed than uh, tokens payment tokens or infrastructure tokens or security tokens so uh, one thing i would like to tell you viewers that non fungible assets forget the tokens bit non fungible assets have been there since whatever so if i draw exactly. a painting it is this specific painting which is my painting you can draw another painting which may be worth more less or nothing but it is non fungible which means you cannot replace one with the other as opposed to let's say a 2000 rupee note where if i have a 2000 rupee note and you have one and we just swap it no change has taken place because we still both have 2000 rupees note because currency notes are fungible so non fungible assets have been there forever so if winston churchill or mahatma gandhi had written a letter to somebody and that letter is today available it can potentially be sold for some market value and hence jack dorsey's first tweet in a similar vein could be considered to have value the challenge arises because when it comes to physical objects like a paper letter written by mahatma gandhi it might be easy to understand why there is value while the same thing in digital version may be little more difficult to understand but should not be for instance as long back as 20 years ago i have attended photography exhibitions where the photographer is selling their the prints of their photograph and i am like you know what why would i pay 9000 rupees for that photograph when i can photograph it or just take it and make a photocopy which would cost me 1 rupee or 5 rupees uh, etc the uh, the idea is that even though that paint, that photograph was replicable it did represent the the abilities of the photographer to create it and market it so the fact that so effectively for the photographer it was a digital uh, asset which could be reproduced any number of times right so the fact that dorsey's tweet is worth something is easily understood the fact that it is digital still worth something does not require too much of a stretch of imagination the challenge has come in the third part and that is that it now seems that you don't have to be a mahatma gandhi or a dorsey you can be you and me and potentially create non fungible assets which have a market price as much as 69 million dollars uh, it is very important to note who bought as in who paid the 69 million dollars i think that is not talked about enough because if it was an idiot you know who really thought i'll buy 69 million and sell for 6.9 billion or something like that then you could say you know this guy is suffering from acute fomo which is fear of missing out but note it was a financial institution a fund that actually bought it who used some wisdom now whether the wisdom was right or wrong time will tell but i'm just saying that it is not just the non swav person it is also the elon musk who is putting money into these new assets it is also the the wall street guy yeah subu so uh, so here is a question so let's say that i have a audio recording okay an audio recording of a, a, a global industry ceo who in 95 told me personally that i don't think internet is going to make any difference to our lives now that audio recording can it be classified as a non fungible asset it is absolutely a non fungible asset without getting into a discussion about who owns it whether you own it because of possessing it or that guy so without a copyright aspect of it you can definitely tokenize it 
mm-hmm. which means and by the way every asset which can be in digital form can be tokenized so you can write it on the ethereum blockchain in the visual that uh, leslie showed he said that it might take up to 30 uh, dollars the real number is varies and it can go as low as 6 dollars in practical yeah. terms and has gone as as close to 80 dollars in recent terms depending on network traffic but yes you could tokenize it and put it up for sale and because it is programmatically being sold you could also say that every time it changes hands whatever was the fee paid a certain percentage let's say 10% is evolving to be the unanimous consensus uh, should come to you so yes you could do it okay great thank you and, uh, i, I don't think subu yeah subu i don't think your question was very hypothetical no no he had a wicked thought yeah in 95 <laughs> no, no, even, i think even, it is real it's happening yeah okay. even i have that suspicion he's going to do something with uh, Uh, I, I, have no, I actually have an audio recording. I have I have an audio recording. See, I told you, of a global industry leader. Subhu, I I am uh, this thing uh, going to ask you for the percentage of those sales because I mean Ajit should ask because we were seeing seeing a part of that conversation. You you cannot keep the entire proceeds. Think about the think about that industry leader who's who is referring to. He's also wanting a percentage. You Obviously, a percentage yeah. Yeah, he he he's a he's a he's a billionaire several times over. But I'm sure he will definitely want a percentage of that. Uh, but but I did another interesting question because I was looking at some of the, when I was doing research on the subject. I, uh, there, there's some some of these blockchain experts were saying that you know the problem with this uh, NFTs is that some uh, most NF, uh, NFT platforms store the metadata off chain or the side chain or whatever you. Uh, Want to call it, Correct. and if the metadata is not stored on the blockchain, then the uh, uh, thing is that the NFT uh, could lose value because uh, uh, if it's on an external storage uh, server. What I would uh, encourage you to think about is when um, when the microcomputer became popular in the early 90s. It could also be late 80s. Uh, the first commonplace application of it was to do financial accounting. so you know move books of account to that why this answer is related to your question while it might seem unrelated is that the first application of technology tends to be to do things which were anyway being done but do it with tech but the next evolution comes in doing things which couldn't have been imagined without technology so take the case of this metadata being off uh, offline or off chain suppose i make a painting and again it's it's rather limiting to think of only art as that which converts to a non fungible tokens but that is taken the lead so let's go with that and it's a painting of a woman sitting on a chair next to a table and there's a window in the background this is by the way not a hypothetical example it's a real example and what happens is that we write we code this nft such that what is seen through the window and what is kept on the table is actually in the author or the painter's control and what the the face of the woman actually is in the control of programmatically again off chain but the overall thing is the framework the framework or the grid is basically been o- online now the painter could every day based on his or her mood go and change that which means the non fungible token you are looking at this picture could actually change every day this is happening today right now this is was never possible in a pre digital era where you actually buy a painting where the painter is actually you know keeping up to it so if donald trump is no longer president that person puts something into the window to represent today's reality or if it is christmas there is a christmas tree in the picture so these sort of things were never possible so the fact that you may write the metadata on chain or you may not write actually creates more opportunity to use 
or in or uh, let us say consume the non fungible asset in different ways so it's a good thing yeah but this is also giving a, an allied thought basically because you have ai writing its own code now you have gans basically you could use gans and gans are becoming so ai is becoming an artist also so imagine ai creates an art and then sells it as a non fungible uh, uh, token <laughs> you're going to have some some kind of wackiness out there wonder who will get the royalty who will get the money out there no that see the entire area of generative models Uh, which has, which is not very new, but it's only a few years old. Yeah, for yeah. it had to have gained, uh, you know, so much acceptance. Uh, frankly, we could even replace journalists, writers, yeah. book authors, painters. Oh, yes, All yes. of these professions are already history because artificial intelligence will do this now. Yeah, I know. We 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 did have that conversation earlier. Also, <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it doesn't happen in our lifetime, and everybody will just wish the same <laughs> as we go. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh, so, we, so viewers, uh, uh, we've had a lovely conversation with uh, Ajit uh, now, and you also know that uh, Subhu has expressed a desire to sell some NFTs. <laughs> so, <laughs> watch out for the space. Uh, uh, so, we discussed cybersecurity, then we uh, segued into blockchain and security. We spoke about uh, the solar winds, the whole uh, on-premise versus the hybrid cloud kind of uh, debate that we had. Uh, and then, of course, uh, how blockchains can help in the entire cybersecurity space, and then, of course, not to forget uh, the value of uh, NFTs. Uh, so, uh, thank you uh, very much for being a patient uh, audience. And if you like, uh, and please subscribe to this uh, channel. And hope to see you all uh, next week. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, so thank you Ajit. Thank you, Ajit. Thanks. Bye. Uh, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Just this one.